Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with a six-foot-tall black woman walking on this earth from her unique perspective. Marion Bond was born in France and adopted by a white mom and a Cameroonian father. Moving to Cameroon at age three, she was the only black girl in her French school and was made aware of her difference for the first time by the other kids at school. Moving back to France at age 11, she was once again blending into an all white local life. At 18, she moved to London to improve her English, ended up in Houston, Texas for an internship before landing in Lausanne, Switzerland, where she would work 10 years in marketing communications. She would do a one-year sabbatical in Australia, obtaining her yoga teaching training and open a small yoga studio in Switzerland. With two daughters under the age of three right now, the family travels between Mauritius and Berlin, Berlin being where her German husband works his dream of winning a Nobel Prize, and Marion's obsessing and obsession with all things kite surfing and warm beach weather. So Marion, thank you for doing this because I know it's not your normal gig to come on a podcast. So thank you for taking a little break out from the girls and coming to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Marion and I met when we lived in Switzerland last year. And, you know, the irony is that we never actually spoke up about race, which is so funny because it was right on the tip of my tongue. And I'm learning that Marion feels that with the Black Lives Matter movement, this kind of like permission to finally be able to say some of the things that were on her mind. So here we are, thank goodness technology. And so Marion, I'd love if you just shared a little bit about growing up in Cameroon and what were you dreaming about being when you grew up? Um, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think the one dream that I had growing up was to move back to France, interestingly, because I always felt like I never really belonged in Cameroon, oddly, because um, I always looked very different from other people. But I dreamt, I dreamt about becoming a pediatrician. I really used to love children and my parents are in medical and I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I ended up not doing that at all. <laughs> but yeah, so the idea was like, get out, go to a place where there is more um, mixity, like where people blend a bit more and, um, and try to do something to help others. Really, is, I think what I wanted to do. So tell me a little bit about not feeling like you looked like anyone else in Cameroon. So what do you mean by that? 
Um, so, um, in Af well, in Africa, of course, some people look a certain way. So you have like, um, you know, East Africa, people would have certain features and Central Africa, they have other features. And because I'm originally from Senegal, I have this dark skin and I'm tall and I'm quite thin. And, and so people in Cameroon don't look like me at all. They're not as dark, they're not as tall. And so, and so people would always kind of tell me that I was so dark and that I should you know, be careful not to be in the sun too much, or I would be with also all this um, expat community, which would be completely white, and and the kids would not really understand what I why I was so dark and not mixed, for example. Um, so that was always a bit awkward in, on my side. That's where I was kind of made aware of my difference because people were telling me, "But that's not your mom because you're black." You know, maybe that that's your dad, but that's not your mom for sure. And so yeah. It was a bit difficult at the time because I didn't really know how to how to respond to that and how to put myself in what box really. People were trying to put me in a box and I didn't know what box it was. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I'm so glad you're sharing this because it's like interesting how, especially with kids, they're always kind of pointing out differences. So you were too dark or too tall or too thin, like all this whole thing about how it seemed like you didn't belong with all the white kids and you didn't belong even with the African kids in the area that you're in, Cameroon. So what were your parents saying to you about this as you were growing up and you weren't feeling like you fit in a box? It was interesting. My parents, I think, were, were trying to make it seem as if there was no color, right? So if they were kind of saying, well, you know, people look at you, like, especially my mom, people look at you because you're beautiful and you know, you're just one of us. So they didn't really say, okay, yeah, that's true. You are, you are different, but this is how to go about it. And, and so I think I've failed a bit in responding to the other kids or to other people or to even feel like I had rights to be different or to be there. So they were not really, I think they were not aware. And it was a time where, um, like my dad has grew up with colonialism and the fact that he was allowed to move to Europe to marry a white woman and all that um, for him I think he just put the race completely somewhere else like for him it was like okay we don't even talk about it it was not a conversation really. do you remember wanting to talk to him about it like was he the one that you wanted to engage with did you want to actually find your birth parents because of this like how are you trying to resolve the feeling of not fitting Really, um, my response was to move back to France because I kind of, I don't know why I had this idea. Well, I do actually, because I, I would go back to France every year for holidays and there people would never comment on my skin or on my difference. Not necessarily because they didn't think about it or they didn't have anything to say about it, but probably because of ways, like they were not as straightforward or as open to talk about it. And so I just felt better. And there were, there were many other kids from different cultures mixing that's a bit like that in France um and so yeah I think sorry I have to go back to to the question but um no, that, that does answer it but did you seek out your dad or were you looking for your like your um birth parents at all to try to resolve it as well or was France the answer um it was it was really i was really mostly raised by my mom so i was really looking up to her and that's why at a certain age i kind of really had to realize that i was different because i really grew up almost pretending that not not pretending but not really being conscious that i was black at some point you know like just really being like my mom and being french and all that so i wasn't i was rather 
going away from all the Cameroonian part and my dad and all the rejection a bit that I had felt there. And my birth parents, no, I was never interested in finding them because it's very complicated. It's, it's called an ex-adoption. It's complicated to find them. But now as an adult, I kind of learned to, yeah, I, I've seen that it's possible from other people. And now I'm like, okay, why not? I'm not onto it yet, but I'm like, okay, why not? And also for my children, because I'm like, yeah, they also deserve to kind of know. So, yeah. <laughs> you said something really interesting because I've learned through our daughters know each other. And um, with a four-year-old, I remember, I th I'm going to forget exactly what age, but I think it was under two where our, the kids think their way of interpreting the world is that they think they're us, meaning they think we're, they're the mother. So they look at us and they assume that's them. So there's like almost no separation between us and them. And I'm just thinking about you and your mom. When you're looking at your mom, you almost look through your eyes out your world thinking you're white, like your mom. Yes. Yes. And so would you look, what did you think when you looked in the mirror? Can you remember any of that growing up? I didn't think anything. It was very funny. Um, I didn't really see that. So I think I just looked and just, okay, my eyes, my face is clean. My, and I just re didn't really process the difference, you know. And it, it's funny because I'm talking to my mom and I also remember that I often asked her why she was different. And, and I also thought I was what I remember arriving in Cameroon and being afraid of all these black people. And so I really, for a long time, kind of didn't really know how to grow my, my blackness in a way, how to be that person, that person. It was complicated. <laughs> yeah. And I get it with you because it's, it's what I love about it. It was really drawn to your energy and you do have this kind of like unique, I, I, I introduced you like that on purpose because this is how I felt when I saw you. It was like, where is this girl from? You know, what, it, like, you were indescribable, actually. It's really, you intrigued me straight away. I was like, where is she from? Not to mention I was the Canadian from Australia, like walking in the same <laughs> small town in Switzerland. So I'm a bit strange too. But what have you learned about your blackness, about race, living in so many different countries? I think one thing that I can tell you about that, because I don't really know if I've, if the travel have learned, have taught me so much, but um, I've, I've actually heard or read once uh, Trevor Noah, I don't know if you know him, he's this South African actor okay. and he's biracial. And he said, he said, um, actually people identify with you or relate to you according to the way you speak and the way you look. And it is true that I, when I speak French, I have a very French accent. And so when people talk to me, even if they look at me and they think I'm different because I speak the same way as they do, they quickly forget that I'm not from there. They really can uh, relate to me and understand that I'm actually from there. And, um, and, and also, I don't know, when I, when I travel because I look, the way I look, I just look well, I don't know, random, I, I want to say. <laughs> so I, if I travel to South Africa or to Australia or to Mauritius, I'm wearing simple clothes and, and people don't necessarily think that I have so much to, to say. That they, they see the black girl, but they kind of think, oh, but she's, most of the time I will get, oh, you're American. You're an American basketball player. And that's, that's one thing as well. I've, I've, also, so, I've also seen that um, 
people are very willing to accept a black American person. Mm. <laughs> and when they, they tell them, no, actually, I'm, I'm French, I'm originally from Africa, then they're a bit disappointed in a way. <laughs> they're a bit like, oh, that's not so exotic. Okay, I thought you were someone famous or something. But um, ah, yeah, so traveling, traveling and speaking okay English and having not a strong African accent and just, you know, going, playing by the rules kind of just helped me really feeling okay pretty much everywhere. So I don't know if I've learned so much about the race and also because I am so unaware of it. And it's really kind of the last thing in my mind when something happens to me, like if someone would be really mean to me, I would first think, oh, that person is a jerk before I think, oh, oh, maybe that was because I was black, you know? Got it. Because, you know, I really still have to process that. Oh yeah, it's true. I'm black. So <laughs> that may be a reason. So Yeah. And I, but wouldn't you say that it is different in different places? Meaning, like, I think different forms of racism or judgments exist in different countries. Or do you notice differences across countries or no? You just feel like the same potential black basketball player from the U.S. every country you go in and then you're just surprising people? Or do you, you notice Switzerland's a bit different than how you feel in France or... Um, I noticed that countries who have a lot of immigrants who look like me mm -hmm. would not be as welcoming to me because they think I'm just one of the immigrants. And so they, they look down on me. Like Spain, for example, I remember people following me in, this, in the shops in, in Spain because, just because I was black and really being pissed. And this really didn't happen many times in my life. So I remember this, the very few times where something so obvious um happened or in italy also italy sometimes can be really like people would just tell me that they, they don't want me as a customer basically <laughs> oh so, in the shop. Um, they would want you to get out of the shop well in a restaurant it happened once hmm. they're like you know rude enough for me to just leave and, and then i figured out well the only reason it, it's just because they're racist i don't i don't understand why this is happening so my only logical reason is that so yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yes, if you have a lot of immigrants looking a certain way, then people would just think, oh, but then if they, if they see that you are, I don't know, dressed up in, an, in a certain way or you seem like you have some money, then they think, oh, oh, maybe she's from a certain, you know, like America, for example, and then, and then it's okay. So often it's a lot about what you can show or what you have or, you know. And it's a good, it's a good point because there's a couple layers to it. I think class has certain um, people judge according to class, yes. race, gender sometimes. Yes. Like even ironically for you is like you hit a lot of the marks because you're very tall. Yeah. And you're often, well, in our town, you were one of the only black people I was seeing in the little town that we were in. So yeah, you're you're in a lot of these unique categories. And yeah, pr we probably did assume you were an athlete because we're used to being around athletes. So <laughs> we felt very comfortable. We're like, oh, let's move towards her. We know about her. Um, but I want to talk about biracial children, you know? So mm -hmm. your husband's German and you're, um, a lot of, you're from a lot of places. So your kids have this mix. How do you talk to the kids about it? Do you think they notice anything? What, what, talk to me about biracial and kids so the little one is too young to notice anything but um, the four-year-old now she just turned four she 
has been, it's funny, I'm going to tell you just one story about that. Um, we were playing games and she was like, oh, mommy, because I'm really trying to bring her to realize that she is mixed, that I am black and that that is white and that we're all living together because I didn't get that. So for me, it's important that she, that we can have this conversation. And, mm -hmm. and so we were playing a game and she was like, oh, it'd be funny if daddy was black and I was white and I, and the, and the little sister would be this. And, and we played several roles and she was never black never like she would be white or she would be mixed or she would you know and she would change everyone but she would and I'm like and when are you black and she said oh no 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 I'm, I'm good I'm I'm like why I'm like oh, no, I like I like to be mixed I like to be white that's it because black is no good and then she at some point I think she just realized because I said then mama is not beautiful and she's like okay then I'm, I'm black then I'm black and so <laughs> it was interesting to see and this happened when we moved back to Germany. Mm. And, and that's also the moment where she started trying to pull down her hair because she wanted the hair to be straighter and all that. And I just realized that because we had moved to an environment where people were white and mm. straight hair and all that, then she just wanted to be the same. Whereas in Mauritius, she never had a problem because all the people around her were like her because I don't know, 50, 60% of the people in Mauritius are mixed oh. or Indian or something. And so I just realized that, oh, she, she, she just, now she just wants to be like everyone else. And, and interestingly, yeah, black somehow, there's something, there's something. She doesn't really know why, but it's not okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, interesting. What a journey these kids help us see because one of Jordan's friends, um, they're Indian and the mom tells her daughter to eat curry leaves she she actually like um fries these curry leaves and she tells her daughter it makes your hair grow long and strong mm -hmm. and her daughter said will it make it blonde because <laughs> she wants to be elsa from frozen and the mom is so funny she's so hilarious she says honey you won't be able to eat enough curry leaves to turn your hair blonde and what i love about that story is the humor in it but even jordan is trying to get her hair straighter. And ultimately what I'm seeing is that it's the, it's who they admire. Like if Elsa is this firstly, Elsa, Jordan tells me Elsa has white hair, not blonde hair. So what kid has white hair? Like who can actually be like these princesses that they look up to. And, and it's, it's interesting because like you say, in their little games, it's like, we talked about your dreams and how you wanted to be a pediatrician. What do you, sorry, I'm going to circle around here for a second. Let, let's see if we can make some parallels. Why do you think, or where did that dream shift for you of wanting to be a pediatrician? What happened? Um, I think I just realized it's really, it's really a bit stupid, but I realized I wasn't good enough at school in math and you needed math to access the scientific field and all that. And so then I was like, okay, then I'm going to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then somehow I realized it's probably not me. So I'm just going to work in communications because I like communications. Um, so there is no real big moment where I thought, oh, no, this is not what I want. But I think there was a little bit of trying to just be a little bit like what my parents would expect me to be. Like they always told me, oh, you're smart. You can do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. You'll be better than us. And so I was like, okay, then I'm going to shoot for the moon. I'm going to be a pediatrician. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, that's not what I should be. And so you gave, like, you started to shift your dream when you felt that you couldn't do it? 
that there was limitations? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm recently really learning about this, uh, the mindset, you know, this uh, growth mindset and all that. And I can totally identify like every time in my life where there's been obstacles, I'm just like, okay, that I'm going the other direction. And, and I'm really now aware of that and I'm trying to work with it and to also work with it with my children. And tell me, like, what are you, I know that this is my deep belief and this podcast is really about dreams and manifesting dreams. So inside of, and we discover through other people's stories, this idea that does the dream actually go anywhere? Like, this is my, my question. And and I'm not trying to say that I know the answer. It's more of a discovery. Mm -hmm. And so the dream, does it go anywhere? So my question now to you is, where do you feel like, what are you doing right now for kids that sort of inside of this dream, you always wanted to help kids? What are you doing right now that's sort of inside of that purpose? Um, I'm trying to write books. I'm actually writing books uh, mm. for kids, trying to integrate more diversity in the landscape, especially in Europe, because there is not much really? in French or in German and all that. And, um, and yes, yeah, so I've really kind of, I really felt like there was something to do there and I really felt like I could do it. And this has become my new dream. <laughs> so I, I now tend to believe that you can have different dreams. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yes, this is my dream at the moment to really be out there and help children just open a page and just see themselves there. Because when my daughter opens a book and sees a brown person, she just goes, oh, look, mommy, she's like me. And she's really happy about that. Cool. So I think it's important. That's it. Because if it's only Elsa... You know, like, yeah. do you know, do you know who Moana, ah, you call her, not Moana, you call Moana. her, what is she, her name again in France? I'm, I'm not sure because I am, I'm not really following this, but I think it's Manoa, 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 uh, from like, um, she's from the island. It's a bit like, Asia, a, yes. yes, it's Moana, Moana, is her Moana name. and in French, you guys have a different name for her because you had to change the name of the movie in France only. Oh, and really? so we were very confused. But she's a great example of, let's say, different hair. Like, this was Jordan's obsession. She didn't know about Frozen for quite some time. And so I thought, actually, Jordan, I was laughing because Jordan liked um, Dora, who's from Mexico, and she liked Moana. And I was like, oh, Jordan just likes brown girls. That's interesting. (laughs) But she's moved over to the white-haired girl. I don't know what that's about. But... um, Hold on. I wanted to say something about dreams. So, you know, how you said this is my new dream. Just in what you're sharing, I'm seeing that I feel like a dream is so big that sometimes even when we're little, we put like little confines on it. Meaning saying the word pediatrician is like we just use the thing that we know. So if we've never been exposed to anything else, we have a feeling about who we want to be or what we want to do or how we want to contribute. So then we start putting like kind of not labels, but like boundaries on it, according to, oh, I know what my mom does. I know what the people in the village do. I know what the town, you know, depending on where we live as well, we put the idea around it. And I feel like we always come home in the end, like the, the feeling. And I don't know that it's always because you were supposed to be a pediatrician. It's that that's what you could put a name on at that time to help yeah, children. You know, sense. it's like, what do we call that? And no one said children's book writer back then. Um, so it's really lovely to have you share that, your experience. And, and I'm really passionate about, you know, especially moms allowing themselves to dream again. 
like you are. I think it's yeah. It's really I think beautiful. it's a necessity, really, because there you come to a place where you're just pleasing everyone, and you kind of forget about what you want to do. At least this was my <laughs> my issue, and I really had to learn and, and and dive into it and really find okay, what is it that I really want to do? What what drives me? Yeah, it's awesome. So. How do you relate to Black Lives Matter? Um, do you see this as the Black Lives Matter movement? Do you see this as an American movement? Do you see this as available to all people of color? Like, how is Europe relating to all this? What's the sentiment? Give us a little bit of your feeling about it. Um, it would be difficult for me to talk about Europe <laughs> because I don't feel like I was, you know, I'm a spokesperson for anything, but... Mm -hmm. But yes, I think it, it really feels a bit like it's American, um, but it's really opening up doors for us as well to talk to people here about what we are experiencing. So it really, it really draws the attention to the topic, and I think it's really good. Uh, we, we, of course, have different issues because we don't have the same background. It's, and, but, but it's really, I, I, I really support the movement. I think they should continue what they're doing and and in Europe there should also be more more things um, happening to help mm. fighting against, against racism but it's true that when I when I sometimes watch uh, videos you've sent me a link the other day about this um, uh, conversation with the black men yes and yeah. And it was extremely interesting and I showed it to my husband because I really want him to understand um, the complexity of it. And there are many things where I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And, and also a few things where you're like, yeah, I can't relate to that because it's not my experience. It's not my, yeah. But That's why I want to talk to a lot of different people because I think we can learn by understanding. Like in, in my listening of you, I have such a, a bigger understanding of what it could be like to walk through life like you. Um, and so what is coming out like the even though the movement isn't so much like maybe in your hometown or maybe in berlin um what has it allowed you to let out of yourself that you kind of never were willing to talk about before what are you now open to talking about that you were kind of like not willing to before um sorry <coughs> um i don't know if there is something that i didn't want to talk about but it's more the attention, the, the fact that people are willing enough to actually hear what we have to say. Because before I really had the feeling that everything I could bring forward was like, oh my God, again, or no, this is not racism. Or, you know, people would have something to say about it, even though they had no idea what we were talking about. And so it would often make me feel like, well, you know, I'd rather just shut up because, you know, there's no point. Mm -hmm. And even with my husband, it, it happened once that we had this conversation. I said, look, this is racism. And he was like, this is not racism. And I really went out of my mind because I'm like, you are not going to explain to me what racism is. You have no idea. And he was really upset because he thought that I was denying him the right to understand the concept. But now he gets it. <laughs> and so I think, I think this is it. Really the, the possibility to have people understand, look, you don't understand what we're going through because you're not living it and just have them, oh, okay, all right, well, tell me what you have to say about it. And, and just have this, this moment where we can, okay, this is what we're actually experiencing and this is how you can help. And this is really uh, important, I think. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, by the way, because there, I think 
I, I have this expression, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think with race, there's like this moment that's happened where people get that, like your husband, no, no, you don't know, hun. You mm -hmm. don't know what it's like for me to walk through Berlin. You don't know. So, Absolutely. and so how has that been? How do you navigate a relationship like that? A biracial, like an interracial, how do you even say that? Interracial relationship? Is that right? That's what my mom and my dad had. What do I call it? Interracial. Uh, I'm never really sure about how to call what now anymore, but <laughs> that's fine with me. Um, we, are, we are having lots of conversations about it. Um, and I'm really trying to make him understand that the way we're raising our kids is not exactly the same way he's been raised or the same way his nephews and nieces are being raised because we are different and this difference implies to adapt and um and the last thing we had was kind of kind of funny because my daughter was afraid of the police and i realized it was because i'm not necessarily excited about seeing the police you know <laughs> like i see the police and i'm just like yeah whatever and i don't find them particularly nice here in berlin either and she was really every time she would saw the police she was sort of being afraid so her dad was like no they're very nice you can wave at them you can say hi you can you know they're nice people and I was like, but we don't want to get to that point. They're not always nice, you know? I still want her to... So we really had to kind of be in the middle, right? So he's like waving, they're nice people. And I'm like, no, they're not nice. <laughs> and we're trying to kind of, okay, you don't want to be scared, but you don't want to be too friendly either. And this was a bit of the topic. So we always have to kind of adjust um, and, and, and try to find the way that works for us and for the kids to understand that, okay, there is a difference. It's not... It's not a big deal, but just be aware of it and, you know, try to. This is, this is amazing what you're saying. I, I want to talk about this for a second. What's your, do you know where your experience stems from of feeling a little bit like, don't be too nice to them with the police? Where's that come from? What, yeah, where'd that come from for you? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a good question. I can't say that I have... I haven't particularly had any bad experiences with, with the police, but I know that as a black person, you are the one who's been checked or double checked or that they're not nice to you. When you cross borders, they would, you know, make sure, are you French? Are you really French? Because in America, if you're French, you're supposed to be white. Um, you know, these kind of things are in Australia too, actually. <laughs> so you just know that they're not, friendly to you and when and, and I've had many experiences actually with my husband going first or going after me and having very friendly people because he's a white handsome guy and being really rude to me or even not even looking at me because I'm black or just not even addressing me because apparently you know <laughs> I'm probably not able to speak or I don't know so so we have a completely yeah wow. completely different experience I I'm having a moment here I think that this is a really important thing you're saying and you should never have to explain a specific big moment because all those little moments make you know for sure that something different is going on. And this is what Nick, like husband, will never be able to get. Yes. And this, I know, is like the way I look defines the way I get treated. And this is something that, like just being able to get that like 
it doesn't matter if I think about the world the way you do, you experience it differently. And that's not in your control. You know, it's like you show up and then people perceive something. And I think you just shared that so perfectly because he goes up first, he gets that, you go next. Um, and I think that this is like something really great to bring up. I think the Black Lives Movement has allowed this kind of stuff to be said and that people can actually go, the only thing I know for sure is I don't get that experience. I don't know what it would be like. Yes, yes, and that's important. That's so important because I think that's the beginning of everything to realize that there is something happening. It's not in our heads. It's there is something, you know, and, and it's been hard to bring forward and to be acknowledged. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know why it's emotional, but I want to acknowledge you. Thank you. <laughs> because I can feel it in you. I can feel this like background sense of like, I'm not really supposed to complain. I shouldn't really say this. I don't have the perfect example or the perfect evidence. It's not evidentiary. It's not like that. It's like, and, and this is something I didn't grow up with my dad. So I didn't get to like see all of it, but I just see like remnants of this life lived differently and not it's, there's no permission to complain. It's yeah. like, you just got to get on with it. Um, and in the space of that, I think that it's confused everything. So it's really nice to hear your truth. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really, I think also what helped me and what also triggered me to want to do something about it because that day that Black Lives Matter started something that really spread it around the world. I really, I also cried deeply and, and really started thinking, oh my God, all these, all these things that haven't happened to me and I've just kind of ignored them because I had to, I had no choice. That's the only thing I could have done, you know, I just needed to move on, be strong and not you know, acknowledge it. And I, I just felt like, okay, no, actually, I'm going to give myself a moment. <laughs> and this has been hard. And it still continues to be hard. But now at least some people are listening. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm really gra grateful that we're friends. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, again, like, I think that there, there is something about you that's bigger than all the places you ever lived. And I think that's why people, you are noticeable. And you weren't, it's no accident when I think when you're born like tall and you're in the middle of these environments where you're different. Um, and I just want to thank you for the honesty and the vulnerability because I feel that it doesn't have to be some big, like with a bow on top lesson. It's not your role to like teach people or train them. It's just your, it's just awesome that you're able to express yourself. And I think I've grown from this and I look forward to, I want to talk more about raising biracial kids, writing diversity books, um, having kids say to their mom, like, how can I make my hair bigger? How can I make, how can I braid my hair? Um, you know, like whatever it is that, that kids have more exposure and get to ask more questions. I think that would be really cool. So thank you for being a form of a pediatrician because you're making it well, finally. Mm. Thank you very much. It was really great, Sarah. Thanks for giving me a space. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. 
There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.